Suppose I told you, uh, I have an amazing plan for uh, your life, okay? And uh, somewhere in the future, I have a destination for you. It holds all your hopes and dreams. It's exactly where you want to be. You'll find uh, fulfillment in life and goodness. And uh, how would you, somewhere on your blank piece of paper, represent that idea, okay? Somewhere in the distant future or near future, we don't know for sure, somewhere in the future is this promise of, you know, things working out, things just being like where you're trying to get to. You've got a goal, right? So on your paper, if you've got a pen, whatever, just kind of write that, put that together, draw it out. I was, uh, I was going to put just a star somewhere on, uh, on the right side there. And uh, so that's kind of the destination that's, uh, that's in order there. And now I want you to think about something. I want you to, I want you to ask yourself, how will you get from where you are right now, which hopefully somewhere is on in your conception, maybe the left side of the paper, if the, the destination's on the right side, because I figure that's how most people intuitively would represent that. <laughs> somewhere on the right side is the goal, the destination, and you're on the left side somewhere, and you need to get to the goal or destination. If you're trying to get there, obviously, uh, you'd want the shortest, most direct, non, you know, ha- have uh, obstacles in the way, kind of, kind of streamlined uh, path to get there. Am I right? Yeah, if you were, were going to do that, uh, you would probably just draw a line straight across. Now, we started out with um, this scripture out of Proverbs, which says, the plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer is from uh, the tongue of the Lord. So I just want you to get real quick in, in your mind, in your mind's eye, sort of the conception of what it is that you, I know that you have some sort of plans for your future. You've got something that you think will happen, should happen, ought to happen, something that is like a a goal. Though it's not maybe a life goal, you've sort of got things that you're walking towards, right? Things that you are are hoping will work out and you're laying at each step the groundwork to achieve those things or get to those places, right? So it goes on to say in Proverbs 16 that all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. So as we're laying out that path to get to the star or the goal on the right side of our paper, in our conception of the way to get there is a straight line. And in our mind, we say, that's a great idea, right? If I want to get from point A to point Z, I'll just do it. I'll skip every letter in between and just go right to Z because that's right in our own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit and that's important because what you want is what you want. But God sees deeper than that. And, and he knows that what you want may not be what's good for you or what brings him glory or what will shape you in a way that's good. So verse three here becomes paramount and it's sort of the thesis for the morning. And it simply says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, I think this is uh, something that we tend to flip on its head and we read it like this. When the Lord tells me his plan, then I'll commit to him. When, When the Lord tells me what I should do, then my works will be, going towards what he wants, right? And we flip that on its head, but that's the exact opposite of what it says. It says, commit your work. And if you want to just put in parentheses, you're working. Because the, the, the word there has the idea of all that you do, all that you are, so that whatever it is, commit it to the Lord. And then the Lord will establish your plans. Now, he goes on to say, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And that's important. Not just important because... Uh, the bad guys have a role too, but because 
they play a role. Sometimes you're the bad guy. Sometimes you're your own worst enemy. Sometimes you sidetrack your own mission, forget from point A to point Z, thinking that that's what the Lord wants for you. And that's, uh, that's gonna be sort of paramount for your conception this morning. Now, here's what else I want you to do. And this might take a little more time. So suppose I didn't say, what is your plan to get from point A to point Z? I said, what does it look like to follow God's plan from point A to point Z? Now, at your first junction, just give me a, like a, a small line, right? You're, you're right here and you're at the end of this line somewhere on the left side of your paper. And you are at the proverbial fork in the road, right? You have a decision to make. And the question is, do I go left or do I go right, right? Do I go left or do I go right? And so now your, your single line that was just straight across the paper is, is got some, some, some byways on it, right? Because now you, you have a choice to make. Am, am I gonna go this way or am I gonna go that way? And when you make that choice, you're leaving behind the other choice. Am I right? Yes, okay. So now there's sort of a, a beginning of a winding path here. And so my question for you is, I, I'm not gonna feed you this. I just want you to think about it for a second. When you think of what it means to follow God's will or God's plan for your life, Conceptually, how would, you, how would you draw that on the paper? Some of you are just like crumple it up and throw it, right? I don't know. Okay, but I, I want you to see, I, I need you to visualize it conceptually because it becomes important for how you are thinking incorrectly about God's plan and what it means to follow him in faith. See, faith in common thought has something like the idea of stepping out onto nothing. It's, it's belief in the absence of a good reason not to believe. In fact, it's like, it, we're, we're told it is what you do in the absence of certainty, right? I'm not really sure about this. Therefore, if, this is, uh, if, if uh, you're at this crossroads and you're not sure what to do, so there's uncertainty about the situation, we're told something like, well, faith is that thing that you step out onto before you know that there's something there. And that's not... That's not true. That's like completely foreign to the biblical concept of faith. Faith is not stepping out onto nothing. It's what, we're told though, it's what you use when there's no proof, right? And so it becomes synonymous then with, with um, foolish action or actions in, in spite of good reasons not to. But if faith is what you do when you're uncertain, then it's used to compel behaviors and actions that don't accord with what you actually think about the world. It doesn't accord with reality as it is, okay? So if faith is what you do when you're uncertain and you're taking actions or steps because of faith, proverbially, when there's good reasons not to, then what you're doing does not accord with reality. What the Bible says though, is that faith is what accords with true reality. In fact, these notions about faith being something that's like intangible and it's just kind of there. And even though you're uncertain, you just step out onto it. It'll be there, right? That's the exact opposite of how Hebrews narrowly defines faith. It simply says this. Now faith, oh, can you, thank you. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Does it say it is the, it's the intangible, uncertain idea that there's something out there? No, it says the, it's the assurance of things that are hoped for. It is the conviction of things that are unseen. That's the exact and precise opposite of what the, the, the popular notion of faith, right? And the problem is that our, our faith in our following of God's plan 
are intricately tied together. Because we, we think something like, if I'm gonna follow God's plan for my life and I kind of need to discern what's, what's, what he wants me to do in every given situation, at every time I meet one of those forks in the roads, I've gotta choose the right one. Because if I get on the wrong one, then I'm on the wrong one. And then how can I get back to the right one, right? And so eventually it's, it's a, you've got a problem with the logical idea that you have a precise path that's laid out before you that you must choose correctly in. Though me saying that probably doesn't dissuade you of that notion, but I promise you that's what you're thinking in your mind. Because every time you have one of these decisions, you come to that same crossroads and think about it the same way, which is I must choose the right path that God has laid out for me, otherwise I'll be on what? The wrong path. And we tie that then our faith to the ability to correctly discern that. Well, I should know this, or, or if God would answer me in this, then, then I'd be able to walk in faith about that thing, right? And so this is, uh, this is a problem. It's, it's rough, okay? God's future plan is not what you need to concern yourself with. In fact, every time God's plan is mentioned in the Bible, it has nothing to do with you figuring that out. It says God has a plan. It's secret and only known to him. What it does say about that is that you should follow him in faith. So now faith becomes integral to knowing how it is that we follow God, right? So you have to have a really good definition of faith and throw away the notion of getting God's plan ahead of time. God's plan is always, 100%, always, no exception, okay? It is always discerned with great distance through the rear view, not through the windshield plotting the course, okay? You can look back and see how God got you to where you are, but always you can never say, I plotted that course to get there, can you? Every time that you try to look forward and plot your own course, you're met with frustration and futility. Times where something changes your plans and now you have to choose something that you otherwise would not have chosen. And you're not doing that then out of faith, you're doing that out of necessity. And yet sometime down the road, you look back and go, had that thing not happened, I would not be where I'm at. And we would not look at our lives in those moments and say, well, I'm outside of God's will. Okay, that's my thesis for the morning. We have sort of this, this window into God moving things around through circumstances, through frustrations, and then explicitly through a vision for our missionary team of Paul and Barnabas. So it'll be Acts chapter 16 this morning. You can open your Bibles there and uh, I'll pray for our time in the word and then we'll hit the book. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for um, your people. Thank you for your good plan. I just pray that you would use this time to encourage us to um, follow you, to um, really embrace what it means to walk in faith and that we would find um, confidence in doing that and um, not live with the fear of disappointing or getting outside of um, your desires. So, Father, I use this time, may it be productive in our hearts and our souls and our minds, that you would bless the hearing and teaching of your word. You keep me from error that you would also by your spirit provide us with all that we need for this to happen, which is ears to hear your voice, eyes to see what is true, and hearts that can receive your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 16. You may have some heading called the 
Macedonian call. But if you remember what just happened, they picked up Timothy. He's been circumcised and now they're kind of setting about their way to spread the gospel to new places. And so verse six says this. So they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And like your antennas should go up, right? And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, um, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. All right, so here, here's a, a question, right? So when, when you see like a genuine desire for God's purposes, or you have a desire for something that you would think as you measure it is good. They're trying to go spread the gospel in these areas. And we're told that the Holy Spirit forbids them from preaching, forbids them from speaking. And you would think there, why would there ever be an occasion where you should not share the gospel, right? And yet here we have it. We have um, not, not just once, but twice. It says the Holy Spirit um, uh, for, uh, forbid them from speaking the word in Asia. That's an entire continent, not just a city, right? Well, in, the, in, the, in this moment, it's not the continent you're thinking of, okay? Asia is, is an area, but uh, nonetheless, they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And then um, by the Spirit of Jesus, they're told, uh, they're, they're redirected. Their path, if you will, is stopped. And so this, I think, disturbs us. Like when we hear something like they desire to do something good and the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing so, we sort of object, Right? And I think the root of that objection is, is primarily this. It's not that we're so burdened that the gospel should have gone to Asia. It's that it blows up our small ideas of a binary God, where our measurement of what's good and what's right sort of has this karma equation, where if I choose what's quote unquote good in my eyes, if I follow what's right in my eyes, what's right in my heart, then God should reciprocate that and say that that's good as well, right? But here we have the desire to do something good, even godly, sharing the gospel, and they're prevented from doing so. And so that simple binary, that karma version of the world and God's plan is sort of imploded on hearing that, right? Because it it seems like that should be the way that that progresses. But let's, let's like figure out. So you will never be able to explain explain God. We can't understand God's ways. We don't understand his mind. We don't understand. So, but we can observe things and then we can learn principles in observing those things. And so what we observe throughout scripture, what we observe specifically in this scripture is um, that, uh, I'm sorry, I read and I should not have distracted myself. Okay. So what we observe uh, throughout is that um, God's, God's plans are, are, um, are laid out for us in, um, in a way that we don't we don't come up about them ahead of time. We sort of walk in them in the present tense. So this disturbs our, uh, our binary look. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to catch myself up. Forgive me. <laughs> okay, so here's what, the, here's, here, here's what it points us to though. Our, our desires do not determine God's, God's plans, right? They don't determine what, what is good and right in God's designs. In fact, our, our desires are most often... Um, coming from our flesh. And, and that's problematic because what's born out of a heart that is sometimes bent uh, more selfishly than it ought to be submitted to God's will means that following your desires is, is a bad way to go about things, not always, but sometimes. So our intentions and desires do not establish or, or, or make God's design. So 
why I bring that up is because the, the desire is good. The desire to spread the gospel in Asia is a good desire. It's, it, by any measurement, everybody would say that's a good thing, but they're forbidden from doing so, so that God's, God's desires or his designs are higher than your desires. He's got a different plan and he's going about that in a different way. So we can't just say, well, we'll just follow your desires because sometimes those are misled. And quite often we're not very good at perceiving the corruption in our own desires, right? We can, we can cover those things up and we kind of obscure the truth about things. And so we're prone to, to doing that. So we're not adept at all, all the times at discerning our motives. So though we might say something like, well, that's a good desire, or that's a godly desire. Sometimes beneath that is a more selfishly rooted thing. And so we have to be careful about making those things synonymous. And so we're, we're prone then to justify our, our plan, our way forward, our eventual goal by just sort of rubber stamping it with the good or God stamp, right? So something like this, like, I'm a Christian, I want a boat. There's unbelievers out there somewhere on the water. Therefore, having a boat is a good thing. My desires then have been rubber stamped by, by, by God, allegedly, because I've said it's a good thing. And, and potentially, yeah, like, could he use that for like some kind of evangel? Yes, but I, I ought not to take my desires and like shoehorn those into God's plan. The other thing is, we don't know the overall design. And what inevitably happens is we take control based on our desire, to get to maybe God's eventual purpose, but we do it in our own timing. You just want to look through the biblical record on that, right? Abraham's promised a child. He's promised a land. And as he desires to have that fulfilled, he, it goes, he goes about it in a way that God would not have designed. So a good thing becomes like a bad thing and a curse to him because he takes it under his own control. The same thing happened with Moses. I could cite more and more examples, but the point is this. We're prone to take God's plan or his promise to us and wield it then in our own designs and our own desires and make it what it was not intended to be. So we want to be able to say, I think, something like, well, God can or cannot do that. We like to box God in with sort of that real binary, well, if it's good, then he must say yes. If it involves his name, he must be for it. And we see here that that's not true, right? We see here that that's not always true. Sometimes he's got a different thing in mind, and here he definitely does. He's prevented them twice. If you can kind of conceptualize what's happening here, they're kind of traveling north uh, in Asia, and they try to turn right, and they're prevented from doing that. And so they travel next, they told to Bithynia, and then they go and they try to turn right again, and they're prevented from doing so. And so now the question is, where, where do you go? And I want you to see that they didn't have the plot beforehand. Like, we tend to look at the times where something is made clear and think it was, all, it was always clear. And we sort of idealize the idea that everybody in Scripture always had that clear path laid out for them. It's here, and then there, and then here. And look, they're, nope, not here, nope, not here. So it's not that they had the design and the plan beforehand, but they are going, and they are walking, and they are being faithful. I remind you that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And if they were, then God's unnecessary. You guys remember Ronco? I'm really dating, I think, myself a little bit. Ronco, like, set it and forget it. Remember he had the, the, the stovetop oven, or the, the, what was that? Countertop oven, rotisserie oven, right? It was, the, 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 the tagline was set it and forget it, right? If God's ways were your ways and his thoughts were your thoughts, he's unnecessary, because you would just draw the straight line from A to Z. But your ways are not his ways. 
And your thoughts are not his thoughts. He says, so, so much higher are my thoughts than your thoughts. You, you can't even get into the same league. So he doesn't just say, do your thing. He doesn't just say, follow your heart or follow your desires. They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit and then they're for, forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus. And there's a tendency to collapse that into the same idea. And I think it's listed both ways for a distinct purpose. And we'll get there in just a minute. So verse 9 tells us that there was a vision that appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, um, because you don't have the, the plotted course ahead of time, he's not handed that to you. And because you're not to follow just every whim and desires just because you think it's good or right or godly. We think if I had a vision about what I should do, things would be much easier, right? If you think that's true, raise your hand. If God just gave me a vision, okay. Now, I think that's actually worse. Here's why. Because there's no getting around that one, right? Once God says in a vision to you, you need to go here, how many choices do you have? None without being in sin, right? And what happens here is that there, there's a man from Macedonia. Macedonia is not a, a place, it's a region. So it's not even as specific as you might think it is. So I, I don't think it's easier that, uh, that God, uh, I think it's better for us that God doesn't communicate so explicitly every time. And, and you can look in your own life and see that that's not true. Very rarely do you have the precision of knowing where you absolutely need to do and what you absolutely need to do next except with the exception of sin there's never a good time for sin there's never a right circumstance to do the wrong thing like but with that put away you have now a second kind of set of um crossroads so the first kind of crossroads you think about are are big decisions right you draw the small line you got the dot and then a fork in the road and those are kind of like the big things that you're like well i better ask god about this right and so I have two objections to that. First is, well, what got you to that point in the first place? And, and you say, well, I guess some combination of small decisions and big decisions. And I say, well, well, did you consult God on any of those things? Well, no. Well, how did you know that you're on the right starting point? Well, I don't know. Okay. So now you've got that problem. But in addition to that, I think you have a second set of, or a, a way of thinking about going from here to there, or what the crossroads actually look like. Some things are not good or bad. Some things are not right or wrong. They're uh, amoral, if you want to think of that way. Like, it doesn't, it's not that this thing would be sin to do, or that thing would be sin to do. It's that I'm just not sure if this will get me on the right path of what I should do, right? And, and so there's sort of a, a generic version that uh, is unknown, and then there's sort of the, the very explicit version that you should do. Now, you think, well, the should do series of decisions is so much easier, right? Because I know what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And I say, you do know those things, but how often do you sin and do what you should not do? Pretty often, right? So it's not the fact always that you don't know what you should choose. It's that sometimes you choose in spite of what you know to be best, right? And even then, so if that derails your linear plan to get to God's destination, now you've got another issue. So I'm just uh, progressively blowing up your conception of maybe following God's will. Hopefully, that's what I'm doing. Okay, so here's what happened. He has the, he has the vision. 
And so don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that everybody else got some extra insight that you don't have. There is, that is not the example that's given to us in Scripture. These guys don't have a special window that you don't have. We know that because they've already turned to the wrong place twice, right? They're doing their best to, to walk faithfully. So they, they weren't waiting, though, for God to give them a vision before they did something. So when you think of, well, I'm waiting on God for this decision, what, what are you doing in between now and then? Right? You, you, you are doing something whether you think you are or not. You're still making decisions along the way. And sometimes things are planted right in your way that you did not expect. So now you've got decisions that you weren't necessarily thinking God was going to even give you for that. So they're not, they weren't waiting for God to give them this vision before they started about the work. So that even while you are not doing something, the thing that you think you need to do, right? You're like, I'm at this crossroads and I know that... I need an answer here, and I want God to answer me on this. And so you're only focusing on this one decision as though it was the only decision that mattered. And nobody else has called it that except for you. And the only reason it's the only decision that matters is because you've already got a conception of where you need to get to. And that's also a problem. You've already designed the destination. Therefore, the path to get there needs to look a certain way, right? Otherwise, all of your plans are going to get blown up. And so we have this continuing crisis in our lives. And the crisis is always something like the timing of God's answer. Well, if God would just answer me on this, right? I need to know it now. I need to know it by next week. If I don't, then this will happen. Okay. Just like some practical thoughts. If there's a crisis in the timing, it's not because you need to crank God into this box so he will answer you within the time frame. Sometimes the time frame is the answer, right? Sometimes because it's a crisis, if you can't have the answer before that, the answer is no or not right now, right? Instead of panicking and freaking out and thinking, why doesn't God answer me on this? Maybe that's his answer, right? So it's just, it's just keep walking, doing what you can to be faithful in spite of the fact that you may not know exactly where you're headed. And this is, this is the example that we get in Scripture. Abraham is promised a land, but God doesn't tell him what land. He's promised descendants, but he doesn't have any kids, right? He just says, leave your land and your home to the land I will give you. I will show it to you. He's just supposed to start going, and he does. And right after that Hebrews 11 that defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, right? And, and, and the substance of things that aren't seen. It goes on to say, and by this, that faith... The, all of the Old Testament examples were commended for that, for that faith. And Abraham being one of those examples, that's the hall of faith. And it goes through Abraham and so on and so forth. If you want to read it just for encouragement, go ahead. But here's the point. He leaves not knowing the destination. He doesn't say, well, I can't leave until you tell me what I need to know. And this is paramount in the idea of following God. It's following God in faith, not getting the plot, and then taking it on your own and walking when you're comfortable. My encouragement is to walk faithfully but hold loosely to whatever ideas you have about how you're going to get there, okay? So when Paul had seen this vision, it says they immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. There's um, three things I want you to look at that. So it says Paul had seen the vision and immediately. That means 
they were prepared for obedience as soon as it was sure. And sometimes we, because God doesn't answer us in one way, we look somewhere else and we just go totally off course because he's not answered us in this other way. And they're ready and prepared for, um, for action as soon as it becomes clear. And this is the first time we get a collective, um, the we, in the book of Acts because Luke has joined the team, right? So it says, it, it just changed from it's Paul, Barnabas, and crew, or Paul, Silas, and crew. And uh, now, now uh, Luke, who's writing Acts, joins the team, and it says, so we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, and that's important, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That, the idea there of concluding is not a, a debate. It's that the consensus of information, they came to unity. The group of people that he's with, combined with the vision from God and the past circumstances of being told no and no and forbidden to preach, causes them to collectively conclude, this is what we need to do instead. And so there's several elements in there that you should take notice of. First of all, you're not meant to do everything on your own in isolation, right? You, you, you should come to some conclusions by some people that are removed from the situation and can help you see better some of the things that you can't see because they're so close, right? They can, they can kind of see outside of your situation with some wisdom and say, well, Maybe that's not what you ought to do. Or in light of these other things that happened, maybe this is what you should do, right? So we are meant to, with the wisdom and the collective uh, help of the Spirit, to, to make our uh, decisions in community, right? And to figure out what, what does constitute faithfulness in this case. So here's a question that I know that I have, and I'm sure that you have too. How do I know if God is moving me or redirecting me how do I know if, if God has closed the door or if it's just opposition that I should push through? How, how do I know if this is really a closed door and a locked door or is this opposition I need to, to get through? And more uh, probably subversively is, is this open door really God opening the door or is it the, the, the devil who's enticing me through my desires unto sin to do something that is outside of what God would have as best for me? And, and that, that petrifies, or it should, concern you, right? And maybe it doesn't freeze you, but I think that idea is important. How do I know if God's trying to redirect it? Well, we're told that the, the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach, and then the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into the areas that they were trying to go. And so the question is this, does God only speak like in impressions or like when I'm praying, or does he speak through circumstances, and how do I know if it's the enemy telling me not to do that or if it's God closing the door? Okay, I've got the answer. Yes. That is the answer. He, through all of those things, through your circumstances, through the doors being shut, through the opposition of the enemy, even that, even the wicked is made for the day of trouble. God even has a plan and a design for the things that come against you and, and make trouble to cause you to choose something. Now, well, uh, let me know. I'll, I'll say that for a minute. Okay, so here's the thing. Even in the, in the case of Job, think about this, the book of Job, right? Job's doing his thing, mind his own business. The devil must come and ask permission to trouble Job. When, when Jesus talks to Peter and he tells him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He, he must ask for permission for whatever he's going to put in your way, okay? So how does God 
closed doors? How does he communicate with it? Is it circumstances? Is it impressions? Is it the collective wisdom? Is it the word of God? Is it prayer? Yes, right? So that even if it's opposition, you can know that that was not outside God's plan. Is that helpful? It should be because I think we freak out and think I'm going to choose the wrong thing. And if I do the wrong thing, then I'm on the wrong path. And how will I ever get back? Okay? God closes doors. We're not told explicitly how he closed those doors. How did they know they were forbidden? Did Jesus literally stand on the path and say, you shall not pass? We don't know. Okay? Did it look like trouble? I don't know. Because other times, Paul seems to not really care much about trouble. Okay? But somehow they knew through the circumstances they were not to do that and to keep moving. And eventually they get the place they ought to go, to Macedonia. We got to go to Macedonia. And it says they go immediately. Now, this, this trip that they've kind of been on has been like this lingering, kind of meandering thing. But as soon as they find out the, the places they go, it's, it should be like a five-day trip and they get there in two days, right? We know what we're doing and we're going now, right? Do not make haste to obey God. I don't think it bothers us in the idea that God knows what he's doing or that he has a plan. That doesn't bother us. I think what bothers us, it's not even that he has a plan and he knows everything and that means we should follow. What what really bothers us, right, is that he doesn't need us to know the plan (laughs) to still get us where we're trying to go and where he needs us to be. If you set out in the wrong direction for the wrong reason, God will still get you where you need to be. You may not believe that, but that's how he saved you. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he found you on the wrong path and got you on the right path. Did he not? Right? It has nothing to do with your ability to figure out God's design on the front end. Okay? Now, Setting sail from Troas, they made direct voyage to Samothrace. This is the journey that they did in two days. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, which, <clears throat> which remained in this city, and they remained in this city for some days. Now, the vision that he had, that, that Paul had had, was of a Macedonian man. Whether that meant like the, the culture that he displayed, like through his clothes or whatever, for, for, for whatever reason he knew, that he was supposed to go to this region of, that was influenced by Greece. It's a Roman colony. It's a brand new continent. Literally, the gospel has never gotten to a, a new continent. This is Europe. So from this fateful, uh, crooked path, here they are now in Europe. So God's will, sometimes we use it as a convenient excuse to blame him, to say something like, well, I don't, I don't know what he wants me to do, so I won't do anything, right? Or he hasn't given me an answer on that, so, so I'm not going to do anything. Or God took away that opportunity. Sorry, I can't help you. So God is not a scapegoat, and his will and his plan is not something that we can use to blame um, our circumstances. If God opens a door or he closes that door, we discern that through the collective circumstances that we're in. The open door is not always the simple or easy thing to get to. It's not. You know that. But they make the beeline for Macedonia, not because it's the nearest town, but because it's where they know they ought to go. So obedience doesn't always mean it's the easiest step. It's a journey to, like I said, another continent. And so I think my my primary concern for us this morning is our thinking about following God's plan 
is a battle against our own personal uncertainties. Like where you're in a certain situation and you're not sure if it's like the right thing. And so you blame that on not knowing God's plan. And so, and so that gives rise to like fear and anxiousness about whether or not you're doing the right thing or if you are in the right place in your life. And this is where we come all the way sort of full circle to the idea of faith, which is, which is not about living in uncertainty, but making decisions and walking with certainty. And so where does this, what, what gives rise to the kind of certainty that you can walk not fearing that you're going to get outside of the, the destined plan, the destined path? Well, um, let me give you a scripture and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how, that, how, how to apply that scripture. And then I want to equip you with a couple of things that will give you the confidence to, to walk as we're supposed to. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you probably know this, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will make your path straight. There's... So many elements of that that are important for us, right? You, you trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't lean onto your, your line that you drew. My understanding says the best way to get to what I think God wants for me is to draw a straight line. And God says, I, I, I don't need a straight line here. I'm, I've got you making some, some wrong right turns to get to the right place, okay? And because of that, we don't lean to our understanding of how we ought to get there. Don't lean onto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Circle, underline. In all your ways, commit your works to the Lord. That should sound like just eerily familiar with your reasonable worship to, to God is to be a living sacrifice. So that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever it is that, whatever decision you're making, whatever it is, you're trying to get to, it should be submitted all of your ways to God because then he's establishing the path to get to where you need to be, which is not a place, we'll get there, which is not a place, okay? We sort of have this thing in the back of our mind that like God would give us a trick question. That he want, he's, he's somewhere nebulously put out somewhere on the blank white sheet of paper, a goal. And he wants you to get there, but he's not going to tell you how to get there. Or that somewhere along the way, he's giving you a choice that might lead you astray and not get you to the place that he wants you, that he wants you to be. Do you see how, how silly that is to put God with that kind of characterization? So what you actually need to walk in faith is a, a few different terms. I think that's the slide. I'll get there. <laughs> I want to give you three terms. We're not gonna, I'm not going to ex expound on all these this morning. Thank you. What, what you need to trust God is to understand sovereignty, provision, and providence. And when you rightly understand those things, you don't have to question if God will get you where you need to be. You don't even have to, you don't have to ask those kinds of questions that give you fear and anxiousness. So what is the first one? The sovereignty is the trust that God is truly in control. That he, that he actually can do what he says that he can do. Now, there, this, 
This could go a lot of different directions, but I only need you to focus on a couple of things. If, if God has a plan, right? If he has a plan, and he does, and he knows the plan, and the knowledge is fully known to him, like there's no part of that that's like, maybe I'm not sure if that's going to work out. Like he knows that it's going to happen, right? You have to then also conclude that he can make that plan happen. Otherwise, it couldn't be a plan, right? Well, that's not even enough commitment. Guys, even give me like a, I don't know, maybe, okay? If you trust that God is sovereign enough to uphold the universe by the word of his power, you have to believe that he is sovereign enough to plot a course to get you where he wants you to be. Okay? All right, thank you. Not only that, but along the way, he has gone before you, provision. It is in front of you. Like before you got there, he has something that he has provided for you so that you're affirmed even in doing God's will, that you have submitted your, your will to his will. Provision talks to the idea of being supplied for that journey, even supplied at the destination. I've laid provision at this place for you. We see that take place. Wrong turn, wrong turn, get to Macedonia, right? They get there, they stay there for a few days. It's not even like at the gate of the city, they're affirmed, welcome, welcome gospel, right? They stay there for a few days, and in the city, there's one, uh, there's one woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Theratira. Okay, so here's the deal. She doesn't even live here. They're in Philippi. She happens to be here at the time. Now, you could ask some, some sort of like questions about that. Well, like, if they had not taken wrong turns, would she have been there when they arrived? We don't know, right? But they, they go, and there she is. She's, uh, her name's Lydia, and she's a seller of purple goods. She's a worshiper of God, but she hasn't heard the gospel yet. She's a God-fearer. That means she knows there is one true God, right? It says um, that the Lord opened her heart. That's, that's God's, it's pointing to God's sovereignty. God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And the result of that is that she was baptized. Her, whole house, uh, her and her whole household, can you go to that next? Thank you. Uh, her and her whole household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Provision. Providence is the, is the kindness of God to you along the way. How, we, we go, how coincidental. No, no. When it's planned and it's provided, it's, it's providence. It's God's design. That's providence. It's not a coincidence. So when those three things are in hand, it, it gives you a different way to think about what you're doing as you're walking in faith. Okay? So if God, if God is not able, <laughs> then you can't, trust, you can't trust that there is a plan at all. Right? And if he's not providing, if he's not giving provision along the way, you can't trust that his plan is good. Right? You, you can't trust there will be good things in it. But we're reminded that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. All things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. This woman accepted Christ because of this final routing into the continent of Europe. At the moment that they arrive, they wait there for a few days. She is, is outside the city at the place of prayer. 
She hears the gospel. The Lord opens her heart to receive it. And now she is providing a place even for them to stay. Now we're going to get into some of um, the, the, the problems in this next week because right after this, they get thrown in prison. But look, how many times in your life do you choose something that you felt like the door was open and you, and you walk down that way and then you get there and because of the, the feedback of the situation, you think this was the wrong decision, right? Well, not every, not every time are we affirmed that this is, you know, this is exactly what I, what I wanted you to do because everything came up, you know, sun, sunshine and rainbows. And, and that's, I think, the final piece of what troubles us most. So what is it that we're called to do? Well, we're called to follow, to follow. If, if it was not following, God would hand you, the, hand you the map and say, do your best. I trust you to get there. If you don't, it's on you. It's on you. When, when, um, when, when Peter tries to rebuke Jesus for saying that he was going to go to the cross because Jesus knew the plan, right? He said, this is the plan. <laughs> and, Jesus, and Peter's like, no, never. I'll never let you do that, right? And, and Jesus' rebuke is first, get behind me, Satan, because Satan was putting a, a, a desire, a temptation. And then he said, but the, the whole point was that he was in the wrong position. Peter was trying to tell Jesus what, where the plan went, what he was, what he was to do next. A, a disciple is a follower, a follower of God. So here's the question you ask at any time, at any place. Where does faith which is the assurance of things hoped for and the substance of what is not seen, how does that marry with, with following God so that no matter what decision we have, we can, what? We can trust in his, his control, that, he, that he's doing something, that he's bringing us somewhere, that he has provision and goodness in mind. So when you're on that, like cliff point, it's not that there's not something to step out onto. It's exactly what you're stepping onto is whatever you believe about God. And the reason why you're so unsure is because your view of what God wants is, is askew. <laughs> because to step on out in trust in someone that you know has good for you, right? What? That's, that's a substance to step out onto. It's not an unsure thing. Just to, to, to step out on to the next step of somebody that has laid a plan, that's not an unsure thing. It's, it's faith knowing that God is all of these things that he's promised. So why are we anxious? Why are we downcast? Why do we fret about these things? Why do we get into the point of failure or, or opposition and begin to question what God is doing. Because we always conclude that the alternative is actually what would have been better. We think at the moment we meet opposition or the door's closed or, well, that just must have meant that I was supposed to be on that other path. And in that, in that case, you're so concerned about the path that you're not even following God. It's not about faith in God at that point. It's about the, the path, which is totally forsaking the substance. God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It is, it is not the path. It illuminates for you where you can and should go. Now, 
Here's the resolution on this whole thing, if I can. <laughs> Hopefully. God is not out to give us like a, new, like a weight and a responsibility. I've got a plan. I've got a design. And I hope that you can figure it out because it's great. I mean, like if you could get there, things would be good. Right? But that's our conception. But he's not handed us that. He's not even asked us to figure that out. Faith is to change that conception into saying this. Whatever it is that I'm doing, whatever, whatever situation that I'm in, that's exactly where God has me. Now, you may wonder what the result of a certain, a result of a certain decision will be. Now, where the resolution is for you is that if you make those decisions with the collective wisdom of helpful people and God's word and circumstances and you combine those things, you don't have to worry and nor should you. <laughs> when we're implored to walk by the Spirit, it is, it is in contrast to walking in the flesh. Okay? You, you've not been given a different kind of task than anyone else that's coming for you. The, the, the designation of walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh to follow God's will, right, is to trust in, by the spirit, God's plan for you and not follow your own desires. That was in the Jeremiah passage. That the heart's deceitful, it's wicked. It will lead you astray. But if by the spirit you're denying those desires and you're truly trusting in God's best for you, you will not find yourself on the wrong path. Because wherever you go, that's where he is. Not where you are. Wherever you go, that's where he is. And he already preceded you there. You don't have to worry about, is this a closed door? Did I walk in the wrong way? Did, I, did, did Satan lead me into this thing? Okay. Unless it's sin, you don't even have to worry about that. This should free you from that anxiousness and that concern. You don't have to pray. Well, ho, 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 ho. there's... That's a comma, not a period. You don't have to pray over those kinds of decisions of sin and not sin. You know what the answer are in those things. Now, you don't have to pray in the way of thinking that if I do this and not that, am I outside of God's will? There's, there's the rest of the comma. Now, if you have questions or objections, you can, you can find me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about them. We are to test everything to discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. You're not asked to find the, the plan. You're asked to follow the will. And his will for you is faith. Father.